The title for the sermon this afternoon is How the Church Works. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, when God created us as his image, he gave us a number of gifts to enable us to fulfill our responsibility as God's image. And one of the wonderful gifts that God gave us is the gift of curiosity. We have this insatiable curiosity. And it motivates us, it energizes us to do great things and to expend and devote great deals of energy and time. Because of our curiosity, we love a puzzle. Some people love puzzles just as a game. They love to do jigsaw puzzles, or they like to do a sudoku. Or they, they want to know how the eye functions. What is it that makes it possible for us to take in scenes and see it in our minds? It's a puzzle. And curiosity drives us forward to try to understand these great wonders of creation. Or to figure out how a disease functions and what are some of the processes that we can discover in order to overcome a disease. And because of human curiosity, even cancer can be overcome and beaten. Amazing. When we are faced by a puzzle, we delight to apply our imaginations and intelligence until we have solved the puzzle and come to a deeper, a deeper understanding of that process. We want to figure it out. And when we see something that is unusual, we, are, we can't help but to be drawn to that. The way Moses, walking through the wilderness, taking care of sheep as a shepherd one day, saw something highly unusual. He saw a bush on fire, but it wasn't consumed. And so he, he couldn't help but to be drawn to the bush to see what this was. And that's what God used. God appealed to Moses' curiosity in order to draw him to himself. Now, there is something unusual in this world. Something that it just shouldn't exist. It's, it's impossible when you think about it from a an outside point of view, there's something in this world that it cannot survive, much less grow and thrive. But this thing that I'm talking about not only exists, not only survives down through the ages, but it has grown and thrived through the ages till it has gone from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And it continues to grow still today. 
It is a community which Jesus Christ calls the light of the world and the salt of the earth. This community is the light of the world. It is a community that shines into the world the light of the love of God. And it shines that light in, the same, in a similar way to the manner in which the moon shines the light of the sun upon the dark side of the earth. So also the church, it reflects the light of God and Jesus Christ into the world, into a dark world that has no knowledge, no understanding of truth, unless the church testified to it and revealed it to the world. John calls the world darkness, and he says the darkness has not overcome it. And in, that's the opening verses of the gospel according to John, the darkness has not overcome it. And then John launches into the story, the adventure of the light which entered into the world and the darkness tries to overcome it. And the darkness gains more and more power over the light until it finally has it seems overcome it because the light, Jesus Christ, was overwhelmed by Satan, it appears, because he died on the cross and his body was laid in a tomb. It seems to be the, the natural end of the light in Jesus Christ. Because how can this light survive in such an evil world. And yet that was not the end. The light shines yet because Jesus Christ rose from the dead against every expectation. Jesus calls this community the light of the world. He also calls this community the salt of the, of the earth because without the church, the earth would simply rot and deteriorate and return to the formless void from which God originally had called it in Genesis 1. Without the church, the universe will not survive because the church is the light of the world, is, sorry, is the salt of the earth. And therefore, this, this community, this organism is curious, but it is extremely important. It is the light of the world. It is the salt of the earth. How does this thing, the church, how does it work? It should not work, we would think. Because it holds to ideas which seem to us to be completely unworkable. It holds to ideas which are 
the opposite of the ideals which the rest of the world think to be important. The world believes, for instance, the rest of the world believes that the fittest survive. If you want to become stronger, you have to use power in order to gain dominance. You overcome competition in order to forge your own future. This has become the dominant theory that drives all of education, all public education, and much of the private education as well. This idea that only the fittest survive and the strongest overwhelm the weak. The idea of Darwinism, the survival of the fittest, it drives all of education and nearly totally dominates all scientific enterprise. But the church says something quite different. The church says that only the weak survive. That the weak are the survivors. And anyone who uses his own strength to serve his own survival will be destroyed. Because as Jesus says in the passage we have read, the first will become last, and the last will become first. And if you seek your life, if what drives you is to survive and become stronger, you will lose it all and become weak. But if your motivation is to give up your life and to serve others, you will gain your life and you will become strong and glorious. These are the ideals which fill the church. And when the church accepts these ideals, she becomes powerful and she lives and thrives against every expectation because she lives by faith in the things that God has revealed rather than in the ideals which man thinks that he has discovered. But we are often challenged, which one shall we choose? Shall we choose the ideals of men and follow those? The things that humans have discovered and believed to be the operating principles which lead us to success? Are we going to choose what man has discovered? Or are we going to believe what the Bible, what God, through his word, has revealed to us as the secrets to success and survival and glory and power and happiness? When we forget what God has revealed, as King Saul forgot that he was placed in a position of authority and power in order to serve, and he used his position to serve himself instead. He wanted to gain his life. And consequently, he lost his life. 
His life ebbed out more and more so that the last half of his reign was only the expenditure of, of energy for the most senseless things until at last he was run through with a Philistine sword. When we forget the ideals of God, as Saul did, or when we cash them in, and we give up hope on them, and we seek the advantage of the ideals of men, as Judas Iscariot did, when he gave up on Jesus and put his hope in human power and in wealth, too. When we forget the ideals of God and cash them in, we give up on the church and we join the world. The church is a distinct community because we give our hearts to something that the world completely rejects. We believe in service. We believe in humility. We believe in giving up our life instead of seeking it. We believe in the power of love to overcome all things. We believe that righteousness will survive to the very end and wickedness will perish. But it is so easy in a darkened world, it's so easy to lose our distinction. The path of weakness and humility and love seem bound to fail. Unless we are taught and renewed in Jesus Christ, we will lose our distinction. Our Lord Zay explains that the church has been granted by Jesus Christ two powers. She has been granted the power of preaching the gospel, and she has been granted the power, as our Lord's Day identifies, the power of administering church discipline. I want to look at those two things for a few moments. Because it is these things which preserve this delicate and vulnerable distinction which the church carries into a dark world in order that we may remain the salt of the earth. The church maintains her distinction, remains distinct in this world through the preaching of the gospel. When we read the Bible, and when we meditate on it in any of the ways that we might, perhaps you might meditate on it privately as your private and personal devotions, perhaps you read the Bible and meditate on it, reflect on it, talk about it with your family around the meal table, or at a Bible study event with your congregation or your neighborhood, 
Or most wonderfully and most powerfully, when the congregation gathers together in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we do twice every Sunday. When we gather together and read the Bible and listen to a message, the sermons, these are ways in which we are reminded about the things that make us distinct. When we gather in worship and allow the Word of God to be present in the preaching, we rediscover that our survival lies in, in acts of service and acts of love toward one another. That our survival depends upon us admitting that we are weak human beings because we sin against God and we want to confess that before Him. When we gather for worship, we discover, we rediscover that our survival, our distinction, lies entirely outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. Because of his triumph, which he accomplished through utter human weakness, he allowed himself to be arrested. He accepted charges without protest. He yielded his body to nails and the cross. And he died in physical agony. Total weakness. And it is through this act of weakness, a duty he performed as an act of love, obedience to the Father, salvation to the human race, it is by these acts of weakness that he accomplished the great and brilliant triumph over death and hell. When we gather for worship and allow the Word of God to become present, we discover our distinction, not only our own humility, but the victory of humility through Jesus Christ. So that as we submit ourselves to this brilliant message, this totally unique message, which you will hear in no other place in all, anywhere in this globe or any point in history except in the church, when we join this distinction, then the Holy Spirit uses that in order to make us into powerfully alive people. So that there is nothing that can take us down. The gates of hell cannot break us. The powers of hell cannot break us. Jesus said to Peter, about those who acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When we allow the Word of God to be present through the preaching 
and we meditate upon it and allow it to fill our minds, it will shape our hearts, it will transform us. And a revolution will take place. The revolution that Jesus Christ talked about. That you find your life when you give it up. That you become strong through weakness. But this distinction is one that we keep on finding that we fail to keep stay on board. We keep on falling off and find ourselves thinking, I can't do it. I can't bear it. I want to be strong. I'm going to take life. I'm going to use it to serve myself. I don't want to give for my neighbor. I don't want to listen to God. We keep on falling off of the distinction of the church. And the church will fail, and the people of God will implode unless we busy ourselves with a weekly celebration of the triumph of Christ through his resurrection. We will fail to remain the church, we will fail to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We will fail to be these things unless we worship God each Sunday, devoting one day to the activity of renewal, one day devoted to the activity of repentance, self-discovery of our own weakness. We need to devote ourselves to instruction, exhortation, and warning, to rediscovery of the importance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that we might be brought forward to comfort and assurance and encouragement of the Holy Spirit to lead us forward so that we may go out again under the blessing of God into the week that lies before us. The preaching of the gospel is the only thing that keeps this community going. The vision, the vision that Jesus Christ reveals, you need to give up your life to find it. This vision is in grave danger. It's always in danger. And when a part of the community says, as will happen from time to time, when part of the community says, I don't want to do this. I don't believe in this. I don't feel that my neighbor is better than I. When a person, an individual in the congregation loses the mind of Christ, no longer thinks as Christ thinks, 
then our survival is under threat. The church cannot work if it doesn't depend on Jesus Christ and hold on to what he taught and showed us. The darkness is powerful. It even invaded into the the intimate circle of Jesus Christ. He gathered to himself 12 men, hand-picked, chosen ones by Christ. His intimate circle. And even there, the darkness invaded. One of those 12 gave up gave up on Jesus Christ, gave up on the mind of Christ. He would not consider others better than himself. He would not accept that victory came through humility and that we can gain our lives by giving up our lives. He gave up on it all. And as soon as Judas Iscariot was known by Jesus as the betrayer. As the one who has not only betrayed him as the Lord, but betrayed the principles of Christianity which Jesus Christ taught. As soon as Judas Iscariot had made his bargain with the religious leaders in Jerusalem, then Jesus Christ immediately expelled him from the company of disciples. The church cannot be less vigilant than Christ was. Of course, we cannot be as insightful. We cannot see into the hearts of any person as Jesus did or could. But we must be as vigilant as he was. If the church is one, it cannot have um, among her those who betray her vision and compromise her faith. And therefore, Jesus granted that the church should also receive the gifts of discernment and the gift of compassion. We cannot deal with those who begin to stray. We cannot deal with the sheep that has begun to stray unless we have the gift, the divine gift of discernment to tell that the person has gone astray and to see where they have betrayed the faith. But we also need the gift of compassion by which we are filled with love for the Lord and for the principles that he has taught us and sealed with his own blood and compassion for the sheep which has strayed. Compassion as Jesus Christ himself had taught with with that fabulous parable of the hundred sheep and one has gone astray and he goes out and he seeks that sheep until he finds it. It is that kind of compassion that Jesus Christ wants to communicate to us that we need to have each of us for one another.
when the gifts of discernment have helped us to see that somebody is betraying the faith, and the gift of discernment helps us to discern that somebody has begun to walk in a way that is not Christian, or is beginning to teach things that are contrary to the ancient faith, When, we, when discernment dis- discovers these things and compassion obliges us to act, then we will reach out to that person. And the church will begin to exercise the second key, which is church discipline. And in order for church discipline to work, there has to be two very healthy parts that work harmoniously. The individual members of the church need to be a family. The individual members of the church need to be a a flock united in our love and commitment toward one another, joined together by the bonds of love. Otherwise, if a member of the church should wander, who would notice that he is wandering? Who would care that that person is living outside of the principles that we cherish? Who would visit, pray, or encourage that person? Who would help that person come to realize that he or she stands outside the faith and that by seeking his life, he is losing it? If we are not a community bound together by the bonds of love, who will help that straying person to realize that he or she needs to repent? or face expulsion from the church. The the body of believers needs to be a, a loving community bound together by the bonds of love if church discipline is to function. But the second part that needs to function in a healthy manner is the leadership of the church. It is a hard thing to advance church discipline. It is a very difficult thing to bring a person under admonition. It may seem easy from the pew, and leaders can easily come under the criticism of members of the church for failing to do this or for doing it this way. But it's very difficult. Because in order to apply church discipline after the members of the church have done as much as they can and they have given it over to the elders of the church, in order for the elders harmoniously to apply church discipline, they need to be united together, committed and zealous for the Lord and passionate for the sheep in order to pursue that person for his or her salvation. Where there is 
the exercise of discipline, there is the evidence of united leadership, commitment to the Lord, and that's a great blessing. When a member of the church expresses concern that someone is not changing their behavior or the things that they teach because their behavior is unacceptable to the Lord, according to His Word, or the things that they teach are contrary to the biblical and Reformed faith. When someone expresses to the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, that someone is not changing despite serious warnings and earnest counsel, then the church elders must take it up and seek change or enforce that change or enforce expulsion through um, excommunication. So you see that really what everything boils down to is the preaching of the gospel. Because it's the preaching of the gospel that shapes us, that shapes the hearts of members and leaders alike so that they might put into practice the love for the gospel as she practices mutual and, and, and as she practices mutual and formal discipline. It always comes down to the preaching of the gospel. That is the foundation for the church. The preaching of the gospel, Jesus Christ reveals, is the solution to every problem. I've mentioned this before, and I'm not ashamed to repeat it. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ recites seven letters to seven different churches in Asia Minor. Those letters are found in Revelation 2 and 3. In those letters, Jesus Christ exposes problems in six of those churches. Some of those problems are very severe. Some of them are, are less so. And one of the churches doesn't seem to come under any particular rebuke. To each of those churches, Jesus Christ ends his exhortation and words of encouragement, he ends his letter by saying, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who is able to hear, he is able to receive communication in some manner, most naturally through the ear, Whoever is able to hear or listen or to receive communication, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and the Spirit is speaking to the churches through the reading of the gospel, through the reading of the Bible, and the preaching that is built upon it. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It is here that the Spirit speaks. It is here that the Spirit is working in our hearts, His pastoral love, His church-building activity, 
his creation of this absolutely unique community, so different from the world, built upon Jesus Christ. Let us hear what the Spirit says. And let us be formed by him. Because otherwise, the church just won't work. Amen.